KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzay Torah. Thursday, Thursday's Shir, the series on redemptive sketches with Harav Moshe Targan. Many of the Shirim of this series discussing the various contours and themes of Gula have assumed the redemptive nature of the events of the past 60 years and in a broader swath of the past 120 odd years and have tried to outline some of the attitudes and um, uh, and um, behavioral approaches to both internalizing the opportunity of Gula and embracing a more national and historical attitude to the opportunity of Gula. But how do we know that the process of return to Eretz Yisrael and resettlement of the land is truly redemptive, is truly, as we all phrase, racist, tzemichas gula, seinu, the first seeds, the first stirrings of our redemption? Well, this is a question which I sort of um, redirected in one of the earlier shiurim, that redemption is kind of hard to predict. Chazal have a very strong bias against predicting the specifics of redemption, either because of the practical concern of failure, or in general because it's a level of intimacy, or it can breed a level of confidence and familiarity with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his grand historical design that may be a bit too cavalier or a bit uh, exaggerated and may trample upon the distance necessary for Yerashamayim. And in general, history, his Jewish history and redemptive history is irrational and unpredictable. So there really isn't a direct and compelling answer to this question, how do we know? It's a process which in many ways will only confirm itself and validate itself after it has reached its conclusion. <clears throat> we'll look back and recognize the process as having been redemptive. It's a process which is discerned as redemptive in a very almost visceral, innate, subconscious manner. And it can't be easily mapped. Well, it's redemptive because of this event or because of that event. In fact, it's probably this elusive unknowability of the signs and foreshadowings which intuit or which inform us that this is a redemptive process which has caused so many Orthodox Jews to not reject the process but to be lukewarm or almost diffident to the process which we believe is Reishet Tzvichas Gulaseinu. But that having been said, there are three or four events which have accompanied simultaneous to the process of returning to Eretz Yisrael, the way in which we've returned and the way in which this land has been resettled and the general milieu within which this event has transpired are certainly to the believers of the redemptive nature, certainly confirmations, certainly signs and signals that our final march back to Eretz Yisrael, ushering in the great era of Mashiach, has begun. Perhaps the most compelling and in some ways most difficult and challenging aspect is the overall environment and context within which this process has occurred. 
The Gemara and Sanhedrin Gemaras, from which I've quoted in previous Shurim, the Gemara cites, beginning with Sanhedrin Sadi Chesamud Beis, the statements of Ula. Abar Ula, Yesei Veloach Mine, Bechein Amar Rabba, Yesei Veloach Mine. They all desired, they all coveted the Messianic era, but not on their watch. They didn't desire, they didn't quite feel like they wanted to live through the process because they recognized the brutal nature of the events enabling and spawning the messianic experience, the redemptive opportunity. Keep in mind, of course, that Ula and Rava didn't live 2,000 years after the Horban. They lived a few hundred years after the Horban, if that much. What were they seeing? What were they viewing? So a previous Gemara in Sanhedrin amplifies some of their fears. Rabbi Yochanan said, Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Dor Ben David Ba, Gemara in Sanhedrin, Tzadik Zayin, Enehem, the eyes of the people who lived through Ben David's return, Kalos Biyagon Ve'anacha, will be filled with agony and distress, groaning, Bitzaros, Rabos, Ugzeros, Kashos, Mishadshos, evil, persecutions, un- intolerable events will afflict the Jewish people. Ad Pkuda, Shnia, Memaheres Lavo. And they won't just be burdensome and traumatic, but they will be rapid and accelerated. Typically, throughout Jewish history, even when we faced seemingly unimaginable circumstances, there were periods of calm and tranquility, which allowed spiritual and, of course, physical recovery. Famous Medrash, attending or explaining the Pasuk in Parshas Vayishlach, when Yaakov instructs his camp, facing the onslaught of Esav's wrath, he instructs them, V'revach tasimu ben eder le'eder, you should put space between each flock of sheep, because I'll see this as a foreshadowing in a very portentous manner. The Yaakov was sensitive. He was astute to Jewish history. He was a very astute student of Jewish history. He didn't study it retrospectively, but studied it through prophecy. And he recognized that Amisol would face multiple crises and multiple foes. But he almost prayed to God, and because he had the capacity not just to understand Jewish history, but in some way to help shape it, he also uh, himself crafted spaces, moments, periods of tranquility and calm, revach, wide room to operate without being um, pressured or confined, revach tasimu ben eder le'eder. But Rabbi Yochanan sees the period of Mashiach not just as exposing Am Yisrael to suffering and to distress and to calamity, but exposing them to an almost unending, rapid array of foes, of enemies. There's one thing that the previous century has demonstrated, is the, the stunning and, of course, heartbreaking rapidity of foes who threaten us. It used to take a couple uh, dozens of years for some new foe to rear its head, and over the last 50, 60 years we've just faced so many different personalities from so many angles who are militating in aggressive fashion against Jewish survival in one way or another, spiritually, geopolitically, or as Hitler did, to actually murder Jews. The Hitlers, the Stalins, 
the communists, of course, multiple different Arab foes, even in the last 10 years or so. Look back to 1997, our great threat was Yasser Arafat and the PLO and Palestinian terror, and quickly a transition to Hamas, to other forms of Palestinian terror. A couple of years ago, we all feared the chemical onslaught of Saddam Hussein. He was our great foe. And almost immediately after that threat was neutralized, the Iranian threat emerged, Ahmadinejad, and Al-Qaeda has now set its crosshairs on Israel. It's almost indescribable that the, the rapidity, the sequence, almost as soon as that first Bzeira, the first decree is even issued, or as the Gemara says, a little bit later, in the same Gemara in Sanhedrin, Sariches, Amr Rabbi Yerchanan, Imra Isador, Shetzaros, Rabos, Baos, Alav, Kinahar, that the suffering and distress flows as freely and as quickly and as undisturbed and uninterrupted as a river. A river is uninterrupted by definition. One unit of water flows immediately in the wake of a prior unit of water. Compared it to a Nahar. And that is an indication that we live through the experience of Mashiach. And this, of course, was the great fear of Ula and of Rabbah and the Gemara Sanhedrin Sariches when they uttered, Yese Veloach that it should come, but they didn't quite desire to live through that experience. Similar sentiments are expressed in a parable. A parable stated by a medrash in Tehillim Parakhaf. Based on the Pasuk we recite in Tehillim Parakhaf every day, Yan Chashem Biyom Tzara, so the Medrash introduces the following mashal. A son and a father are traveling along a wearied and long road. Finally, the son loses his stamina, turns to his father and says, when will we finally arrive at the Medina, at the country we seek? Amar so the father assures his son, Simon should adopt the following signal to determine our arrival or the initial stages of our arrival. Once you recognize the cemetery, we're close to the city. Of course, cemeteries were typically built on the periphery, the outer rim of a city, so the cemeteries signaled arrival and civilization in urban and, and people populated areas. But this is iconic for the Medrash and Tehillim. Kach Amr Lamakarish Baruch Hu Yisrael. Imra Isim Esatzaros Shenis Rabu Etchem. Once you see the Tzaros intensifying in nature and in pace, Be'al Sasha Tem Nigalim. Then I will finally answer your Tfilos and restore you to your Messianic splendor. Dechsev Shenemar Yancha Shem Be'om Sarah. God will answer our final answer, our final response when the tsaros become almost unbearable. Now, as I mentioned in an earlier shear, part of the texture of the messianic process and the messianic era depends upon our own merit. As the Gemara says, Zachu, if we merit it, Anani Shmaya, then we ride quickly on clouds of glory in a manner which is reminiscent of the redemption from Mitzrayim, Bechipazon. It's only if we don't merit, and unfortunately, it seems more and more that we're living through an experience which reflects our lack of merit and undeservedness. The tsaros, which Ula and Rabbah 
chose to pass upon are not just the persecution and discrimination and hostility directed at Am Yisrael. But it seems as if there will be general international tumult and chaos, general warfare, typically associated with Gogu Magog, but not limited to that ultimate or penultimate stage of the messianic process. For example, there's a Psikta Rabasi. The Psikta says, Shana Shemelech HaMashiach Nigleba, the year in which the Mashiach arrives, Kol Malche Umos HaOlam Migarim Zeboze. The nations of the world, the superpowers, provoke, antagonize, battle each other. There's general political instability, or if not political instability, at least face-offs and antagonism between various different factions, or at least countries. Um, Certainly one can look back on the last century, more or less, the great world wars which were fought, the continuing tensions in the aftermath of the world war, the nuclear stand-down between the United States and the Soviet Union, and now the rapidly developing face-off between Islamic culture or radical Islamic fundamentalism and much of the Western world and the wars, the skirmishes, the terrorism. Wars have always been fought, but the scale and the scope of human fatality and the global sweep of some of these contests is one which echoes the sentiments expressed by the Psikta Kahana and the general feel which we all have for a messianic era which is replete not only with persecution against Jews but general political instability. A third Gemara in Sanhedrin speaks of a different Sarah, not a discrimination or persecution of anti-Semitism and not the general instability which the Psikta Kahana articulates, and again, which is latent in some of the prophecies of the Mocham of Gogu Magog, which includes an international element, and not just an international element allied against the Jewish people, but an international element, perhaps feuding amongst itself. Some of these international wars are described in vivid manner, vivid detail, in Pirkei Jebelazar, Perak Lamed, in a section of the Zohar, in Parshas Vaira, Paraglamid Beis, and already the themes of this international war, not just directed against the Jews, but centered, at least geographically, militarily, around Yerushalayim, around the Mideast, are described in Zechariah, Parak Yudalit, Hine Yom Baal Hashem, the day of God is coming, V'yasafti Eskola Goyim El Yerushalayim L'Milchama, I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem for a war, and it's not clear that this war is directed exclusively at Am Yisrael, the Jewish people. Prior sections of Zechariah do suggest that. But there are clear sources, both in the Nevi'im, as well as some of the statements of Chazal, for the instability in the general international climate, at least during the initial stages of Gula. But two Gemaras speak of what one could call social, um, cultural, moral, and even economic instability and upheaval. That same Gemara and Sanhedrin where Yochanan spoke about Yagon Vanacha, he spoke about diminishing levels of Torah commitment, 
Tamidi Chachamim Mismaatim, there are fewer Tamidi Chachamim, or at least if there aren't, there aren't fewer, perhaps the level of their Chachma recedes. Rav Nehurai had more striking statements which play out on the social sphere. Ne'arim Yalbinu Pene Zikenim, Bas Kama Bi'ima, Bikala Bechamosa, Ufne Hador Kikelev, the Ein Haben Mizbayesh Me'aviv. Children rebelling against parents, young generations ignoring the respect which they typically display to previous generations. Again, a complete upheaval of the classic hierarchical relationships between father and son, mother and daughter, in-laws and their married children. Upheavals and um, disruptions which unfortunately have wreaked havoc with modern society. There's a parallel section in Yoma, the Gemara speaks of uh, similar social dysfunction, which accompanies the, the period of Mashiach. The Gemara claims, Be'ikvisa de Mashiach, this is the Gemara in Sota, Daf Memtes. Be'ikvisa de Mashiach, during the period initiating Mashiach's chutzpah yasge, there will be a preponderance of chutzpah, of disrespect, of defiance. Ein tochachos, there will be no one to receive Musa, there will be no one who is interested in Musa, also mentioned by the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Reb Nechemia's statement, a level of promiscuity and sexual freedom and sexual expression, sexual prostitution, distortion, that even the house of study will be converted into a house of sexual freedom and sexual licentiousness. These are some Gemaras which don't speak about the political and military scene, but speak about the breakdown of hierarchical relationships, moral deterioration. Gemaras speak of levels of poverty, perhaps levels of poverty which aren't that acute in the Western world, but are rampant in other areas of the world. A Gemara claims a Gemara in Sanhedrin as well as in Yevamos, Nefcha kol hamalchus leminus. Most cultures, most administrations and governments will become secular, will reject God, and this is a reality which we have lived with certainly for the better part of the last two centuries as organized religion has crumbled and the separation between church and state, which by and large has been a welcome separation in terms of halting the abuse of the, the combination of church and state, the combination of those two authorities, but nonetheless, the adaptation of a secular city, the development of a secular city, certainly resonates with some of the messages and foreshadowings of Mashiach described in both the Gemara and Sanhedrin as well as the Gemara and Sota. It's a very interesting Nesivos. Nesivos, Mishpat, not typically someone you'd associate with uh, Messianic prophecy. Nesivos in his Sefer Emes Liakov. Cites the Gemara in Baba Basra, Dafayin Gimel Amidbeis, which he takes in a metaphoric sense. Rabbi Bar Bar tells the story, he narrates, Zim Nechada, one day, Habakazlina Besfinasa, we were traveling on a boat, Bechazina Nehu Kavara, the Asvalei, Chals Agabei, Bekadach Agma Iluye. They saw this large mound of, of, of ground, of, of dry land in the middle of uh, the ocean, the lake. So they got out of their boat, Savrinan Yabeshtahi, they thought it was dry land, it was Yabasha, Vesalkinan. And they exited the boat, Vafinun Ubashinan Agaveh, and we began a cookout, we began to make a campfire to heat our food, to cook our food, 
V'kadcham gabei, and once they lit the fire and they heated the surface, is hapich. It turned out to be a live, large fish, and of course it threw its, it tossed its people standing on top of that fish, on top of that whale, overboard. Luckily, the boat was nearby because Rabbi Barbarachana comments, "He loved having mekarva. Had we not been too close, had our boat not been close enough, Havitavina, we would have drowned." But they were able to sort of swim back to the boat. The Nesivos believes that this fish, this large fish, which they thought was dry land, signifies general the international community, and the people on the boat. They played the role of the Jews who thought they had reached dry land, they had finally reached tranquility, stability, they had finally defeated history and halted anti-Semitism and discrimination. And once the Messianic era, once things became heated, once the dynamic started, so this large fish which had been dormant rose up again. And had the boats not been close enough, namely had we, had we not been so close to Geula, then certainly our survival would have been threatened. But Baruch Hashem, this great awakening and the persecution and the chaos which it caused was towards the tail end of the messianic process and our lives were saved by this boat, so to speak. We were close enough, close enough to the end, close enough to the boat. So already senses the persecution that Jews will be exposed to, in this case shattering the illusion of tranquility, of the triumph of history, and restoring that great struggle of Jewish history. So this is the first sign, the chaos, the persecution, the general upheaval, the breakdowns socially, economically, politically, religiously, which have visited general culture. Or as Zechariah says in Perak Yudalit Pasek Zayin, V'hayali Eis Erev Or, when it's darkest, then the light will breach. And as the Radak explains during the moment, the Radak of Benedavid Kimchi in his explanation of Zechariah's statements in Parak Yudalit, the darkest moment when things seem lost and hopeless, then the Geula will emerge. The second compelling signal of Geula is the Renaissance and the resuscitation of life and of growth in the land of Israel itself. There are three Gemaras which more or less articulate the notion that one of the signals of Geula is the blossoming and flowering of a land which had been desolate for 2,000 years since Chormbe Samikdash, inflexible and defiant for any of it, to any of its settlers, calmly and lovingly yielding itself to its true owners, to Am Yisrael, land that had been arid and unsettled, untamed and wild, have begun to blossom, the desert blossoming as a sign of Gula. Gemara Sanhedrin quotes Rabbi Abba, Tzadik Ches, Ein lecha keitz megula mizeh. A very powerful statement. There is no signal more transparent, more convincing than the flowering and blossoming of the land of Israel. And as proof, he cites the Pasuk in Yechezkel, Perak Lamed Ches, excuse me, Pasukhes, the Atem Yisrael, the mountains of the land of Israel, An Pechem Titenu, provide your branch, your leaves, Ufer Yechem Tisu, and raise your fruits, Liami Yisrael, for my nation, the Jewish people, Ki Kervulavo, because they are about to march in and resettle the land. 
Again, it could be a practical preparation of the land, or it could be a symbolic flowering of the land of Israel to demonstrate the blossoming of the Messianic era. Similar Gemara in Megillah, Daf Yud Zayin. Gemara says, Why did Chazal juxtapose the bracha of bracha describing the ingathering of exiles to the land of Israel. Why does it succeed a bracha speaking about produce, agricultural success? Why that sequence? So the Gemara answers Mishum Dechsiv, quoting the same pasuk in Yecheskel Paraglamidvav, Viatem Hare Yisrael An Pechem Titenu, etc., that the event of the land flowering and producing for the Jewish people will signal that the end is near and that Am Yisrael is returning to its land. That's built in, it's hot-wired, so to speak, into the structure of Shimon Esrei. Gemara Ksuvos, the final Gemara in all of Mesechus Ksuvos, cites Rabbi Chia, Barashi, quoting his Rabbi Rav, in a more apocalyptic sense, Asidin kol ilanei srak shebe'eritz Yisrael she'yitanu peros. All the trees, all the barren trees in Eretz Yisrael will one day bear fruit. Here he quotes a pasuk in Yoel, Perak Beis, Al tiru b'hamos sadai ki dashu neos midbar ki eitz nasa perio teina v'gefen nasnu chelam. So all these Gemaras together paint a picture of a land which did not yield itself to any of its capturers or conquerors, but freely yields itself to the Jewish people. This sentiment is expressed in a different location, in a slightly different vantage point. In the Tochacha of Bechukosai, sentences in Psukim which describe HaKadosh Baruch Hu's punishing Am Yisrael for their betrayal, for their, um, for their abandonment, one of the Psukim Hashem writes, I will destroy, I will cause the land to be barren, so the Sifra in Bechukosai writes, Zumi Datova, this is actually a reward, so to speak, a comforting sound. Shalo Yehu Yisrael Omrim, so that the Jews shouldn't think, Ha'ol ve'galinu me'atzinu, now that we've left Eretz Yisrael, l'achshav ha'yivim ba'im u'motzim o'leha nachas ruach, then we'll be conquered and settled by nations who will thrive and prosper in Israel. So Hashem comforts them. Af ha'oyivim ha'bayim achrechein, no matter who settles this land, the land will not succeed. No culture, no nation will succeed in tilling this land into productivity except Am Yisrael. And the Ramban in his comments on that Pasuk Vahashimosi, Anias Aretz, I will cause this land to be desolate. The Ramban articulates this promise of a Baruch Hu, that the land of Israel will remain forever barren from the day we left Israel Israel, the land did not admit or embrace any language or any nation despite multiple efforts to settle this land they've been unsuccessful Mark Twain in 1867 visited Palestine visited this land and he writes some very, very chilling comments of what he saw. We traverse some miles, he writes, of desolate country whose soil is rich enough but is given wholly to weeds. A silent, mournful expanse. A degree of desolation is here, he writes, 
that not even imagination can grace with pomp of life and action. We reached Tabor safely. We never saw a human being on the whole route. Desolation, untamed wilderness, these are my words describing what Twain articulates or portrays. A little bit later he describes, we pressed on toward the goal of our crusade, renowned Jerusalem. The further we went, the hotter the sun got, and the more rocky and bare the landscape became. There was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive and the cactus, those fast friends of a worthless soil, had almost deserted the country. And then he finally offers his commentary as to why the land of Palestine is so untamed and so desolate. He writes, Palestine sits in sackcloth and ashes. Over it broods the spell of a curse that has withered its fields and fettered its energies. Palestine is desolate and unlovely. And why should it be otherwise? Can the curse of the deity beautify a land? Palestine is no more of this workday world. It is sacred to poetry and tradition. It is dreamland. What chilling statements Twain writes. Because Twain, of course, didn't have that sense of the redemptive capacity to revitalize the land. He writes, it's no more part of this world. It's sacred to poetry, to tradition. It's a thing of the past. It's a dreamland. Of course it's a dreamland. The dream of our redemption has been fulfilled. And with that redemption, we've returned to this land. And this is probably the second most compelling signal of the redemption of Am Yisrael. The restoration of the vitality of this land that has been desolate for so long. Probably the third most compelling. I said most compelling because there's a very famous sefer written about Geula by Rav Menachem Kasher, the famed author of the Torah Shlema. So he wrote a sefer called Hatkufa Gedola, the Great Period, in which he believed very deeply in uh, he believed very deeply in the messianic nature of our return, the redemptive nature, and he listed 18 signals for our redemption. To me, at least, these three stand out. The chaotic and traumatic nature of the period within which our return has occurred. The sudden flowering of this arid land, which had lie desolate and barren for so many centuries and millennia. And finally, the indisputable role of Yerushalayim, the return to Yerushalayim as the capital of this country, of this nation, and the disputed nature of Yerushalayim. Not just our return, but that our return is so disputed and so opposed and it's so intractable. Tehillim, of course, Kuf Memzayin writes, Bone Yerushalayim Hashem Nidcha Yisrael Yechanes. One of the signs is not just the ingathering of Am Yisrael, but the restoration of Yerushalayim. Very fascinating Gemara and Brachos. Daf Memtes, which debates the third bracha of Chasamazan of benching, how it should end. In one position says Boni Yishalayim, which is our position, and in one position says Moshiach Yisrael, speaking of the redemption of the Jewish nation. And the Gemara questions that second opinion: How can you say Moshiach Yisrael without mentioning Yishalayim? And he, of course, buckles and says, "No, I meant to say that the bracha should conclude with statements." speaking both of general Yeshua as well as Yerushalayim, was completely inconceivable to Chazal to speak of 
the redemption of the Jewish people and the Jewish state without mentioning Yerushalayim. And that is, of course, what makes the events of 67 so historically connotative, so historically uh, compelling. And what caused, I believe, Rav Amital, our Rosh Hashiva, has spoken about this on numerous occasions, has caused this this uh, stirring within the international scene. I think in 48, when we returned to Eretz Yisrael, so most of the world uh, had pity on a, a nation of victims, a nation of survivors, and although the Arabs continued to fight our survival, most of uh, world opinion was on our side. But when we marched into Yushalayim, the connotations of the Jewish people's return to Yushalayim were too powerful for the international community to allow. And this has caused the great stir, the great uprising, the great anti-Israel sentiment, which exists in many, even Western countries, not to mention third world countries. The Pasuk in Zechariah Yudalid, which speaks of the splitting of Jerusalem, Half of Jerusalem, in this case, will be exiled. Could this refer to, as Rav Kasher claims, not the actual exile and capturing of the city, but the splitting of Yerushalayim at one stage? Part of it under Jewish control, part of it either politically or at least demographically, under foreign control and foreign dominance. Could this be a reference to the dispute around Yerushalayim as a signal of Geula? Or as Yeshaya writes in Parak Chavdalet Pasach of Gimel, when he speaks of, in apocalyptic terms, about the planets being ransacked, the Chafra Halavana, Vusha Hama, Ki Malach Hashem Tzvakos Bahar Tzion of Yerushalayim V'neged Zkenav Kavod, speaking about the return of Hashem and His authority to Yerushalayim in apocalyptic terms as being accompanied by planetary abnormalities and aberrations. So the Radak again comments that this refers to Gogu Magog. And the nations will gather around Yerushalayim and they will camp on Jerusalem. Gam They will capture half of the city and then Hashem will battle them down and beat them back and reunite Yerushalayim. Is the, are these descriptions, both in Yeshaya Chavdalad, at least according to the Redox version, and Zechariah Yordalad, in which it's almost explicit that half the nation will be exiled, are these signaling the split of Yushalayim? Can some of these wars be metaphors, not just to military action, but through the political disputes surrounding sovereignty of Yushalayim? Are we living through part or at least initial stages of Gogu Magog, reflected by the wars, the diplomatic wars surrounding Yerushalayim. But there's no question in my mind that it's not just the return of millions of Jews to Israel, but the return to settle Yerushalayim as the capital of our, of our political body. And the disputes and the antagonism which this event has raised and awakened, these are messianic events. These are not just temporal or transient moments in Jewish history.